Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. It's been three years and half of you guys weren't at this church three years ago anyway. So I said to myself, self, it is time to do Christmas at the movies one more time. Does anybody else need a Bible? We're going to have a good time The fun thing about um, choosing a Christmas movie and using it as a launch point to share what's true, reaffirm what's true, or maybe even provide biblical critique to what's not true, um, is that you immediately go, all right, what movies do Christians watch during the holidays? (laughs) Yeah, Die Hard. Uh, And then there's, because it's a Christmas movie. Um, Because the thing is, is you can't, just take a stereotype. It's not like all of us have been in church our entire lives. And it's not even that everybody who's been in church agrees on what's appropriate watching of <laughs> what's appropriate Christmas movies. <laughs> so what we're going to do, uh, Pastor Dennis and I are very excited because he's preaching in a couple weeks. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to make an appearance uh, in Jingle All the Way. Yes. Um, but we get to pick movies that maybe you have not seen. Sometimes it's a well, I haven't seen that because my parents just didn't show, we just didn't watch that one growing up. Or that's movie's too new, and I decided 30 years ago I was only ever watching White Christmas, and, and I just kind of stick to what I know. Today's movie, if you grew up in church, it might be, good Christians don't watch that one. Um, but that's not necessarily true at all, and not of, all of us were Christians even a year ago, praise God. Right, so uh, some of us, this is uh, our favorite movie, and some of it, it's ew, that's dark. Somewhere in between for me, because it's both. We're gonna tell the story in case you haven't seen it, and then we're going to do what Christians always do. We're gonna open the book. Amen. Okay. You guys know illustrations are just launch pads that get us to talk about Jesus, right? We're gonna always end up in the same place. And if we don't, then that's great because that means I've got a jet and a Rolls Royce. So, let's talk about The Nightmare Before Christmas, part one of four. Tim Burton put out a very dark and creepy in the early 90s, The Nightmare Before Christmas. And I'm going to briefly catch you up on the story in case you haven't seen it. I was actually amazed. I rewatched it two weeks ago to make sure I understood the gist of the storyline. And I was surprised. Uh, this movie actually says the exact opposite of what the current cultural narrative says. That everything you normally expect from Disney right now is if it feels good, do it. If it's in your feelings, it's inherently valid, it's inherently true, go ahead, it's true for you. That is the spirit of the age right now. And you can see it in 80% of movies, 80% of television. It's how people talk, it's how people think. And The Nightmare Before Christmas says the exact opposite which I was very surprised by. Let me start at the beginning. The really, really skinny dude who needs a sandwich is named Jack Skellington, and you can see he's literally a skeleton. And he is called the Pumpkin King. He is good at scaring people, so he's in charge of Halloween because he's scary, and he scares others. And he lives in a place called Halloween Town, and 
kind of like our image of the North Pole, where we think elves do nothing all year long about, except think about the next Christmas. In Halloween Town, they spend all their time and energy going, how do we make the next Halloween even better than the last one? And this is what they do. Jack, uh, even though he receives all this praise and all these accolades from his co-workers about how scary he made Halloween, he feels empty, he feels a yearning for something more, and he stumbles upon this portal that takes him to this faraway place called Christmas Town. And he senses immediately, everybody here is not scared, they're happy. There's joy, this is so awesome, this is so wonderful. I have to, I just got to wrap my head around this. How do I make, this is so superior to making people scared, making people happy, that's just better. And so he ends up back at his house with a stack full of books all about Christmas. And he decorates a Christmas tree in his house and he gets it all looking pretty or whatever, this newfound, all these newfound foods and things that he's discovered that are supposed to make Christmas what it is. But as he pours through book after book after book, he doesn't feel like he's getting any closer to figuring out what makes Christmas what it is. Why is it that everybody's so happy? What, what is down beneath this? And he, even though he's read all these books, he just doesn't get it. He finally decides, clearly, what makes this awesome is the fat man in the suit. Because he flies around in this sleigh, gives presents to everybody, and everybody's happy. That clearly is what's going on. So he hatches a plot. He says, clearly, I need to do this. So he has his minions kidnap Santa, and he dresses up as Santa, and he flies around Christmas Town, distributing gifts on Christmas. But the problem is, Jack isn't good at joy and happiness. Jack is good at scary. So all of his gifts terrify the children. And all of the parents are calling the police going, there's a skeleton running around dressed as Santa Claus. Go catch him. This is awful. And this is where the narrative really shifts away from what I was saying earlier, what's the spirit of the age. Jack actually comes to realize, I can't make Christmas what it is. I'm good at scaring people. Santa is good at happiness and joy. And so he saves Santa from this other bad guy, and Santa gets back to work, and basically Santa is able to save Christmas. Every other story is that you have to save Christmas. Right? No, I'm George Bailey. That's my house, see? That's my wife. George Bailey, if he doesn't exist... Everything falls apart in the world around him. He's the linchpin of that, that city's identity. Okay. Jack Skellington goes, no, I need to put Santa back where he belongs. Jack Skellington humbled himself. Jack Skellington goes, I, this isn't my forte. I am good at scary. I need to stay at Halloween and make Halloween what it is. And as soon as Santa was back on his throne, so to speak... Christmas was saved and people could be joyful again. People could be happy. And he was able to rest in that. This is who I am. This is what I was put on earth to do. Right? You hear how that's the opposite? Accepting what you were put on earth to do. That's just not how we think anymore. So that's the basics of the story if you haven't seen it. Okay. Note takers. Here's your first blank. Jack had many books about Christmas, but he read alone. He read alone. 
And it's really sad as a Christian when you're watching a character searching for truth. They can feel Christmas, but they can't understand it. You're sitting there going, he's trying to learn about Christmas from a book. He felt it when he was in Christmas Town, but he's just reading and reading and reading. And it's weird. You're sitting there going, I was anyway. All those people in Christmas Town, and not one person could just talk with him and explain Christmas to him? Where's Linus when you need him? Oh, he's over in Charles Schultz land. Because I feel like I've heard this story before. I feel like I've heard about somebody who's searching through books, trying to find something that's true, and they needed more. So let's talk about what our brother Luke wrote. Oh, I didn't get the page number in there. Page 912, it's in your sermon notes. Go to page 912. And we're going to see how Christians, how the church should be helping people as they are trying to find deeper meaning, as they are searching for what is true. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here at church today because you're trying to investigate faith. This is going to show some of the marching orders for Christians of how we help people on their journey. Jack did not have anybody there to explain Christmas to him, but the 21st century world is not suffering from that. There is an answer. Read with me starting at verse 26. As for Philip, does that sound like we're in the middle of a thought? Yeah, go read the rest of it, it's awesome. Now, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the conduct. So kids, if you've never heard the word eunuch, um, you need to know what that is. All you need to know about eunuch is that is a man who used to be happy. A eunuch of great authority under the Kandaki, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. That's surprising. And he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, that's huge, circle, highlight, underline, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water, why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. As an aside, this is totally free. One of the reasons I don't do a whole lot of altar calls is because you see throughout the Bible when people are hungry, they've been made alive by the Holy Spirit, you can't stop them. You'll fill up that baptismal yourself. You just met God. We're going to know it. When somebody is transformed, everyone can see it. 
I'm, I'm not going to do the 17th verse of just as I am. Just, oh man, I hope somebody raises their hand. No, we will know. We will know. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Did that guy need someone to help explain things to him or what? Was that the miracle he was hoping for? There's nothing recorded in the book of Acts that the eunuch was praying for. He might have. He's from Ethiopia. There's no good reason he should be a worshiper of Yahweh. And yet he is. He had just gone to Jerusalem to worship. Big, long, expensive, sometimes dangerous journey. Why is he here? We don't know. But God always has a plan. And the Holy Spirit said something so specific to Philip. Walk alongside that chariot right there. That guy is in his Chevelle with the windows rolled down. Go walk alongside. That's a slow Chevelle. Listen, guys, 21st century illustrations, first century reality. I'm doing the best I can. Maybe it was a Christmas parade, and so his Chevelle was going five miles per hour. But here's the point. When you're in a chariot and you're an official, you're not driving. He's sitting in the back of his limo, so to speak. He's wealthy, he has status, he has power, and yet he's willing to go to incredible lengths to find God. It means God is doing something. And he has the right book. How wealthy are you in a world with no books where everything is scrolls and it could take a guy, if he was by himself, a lifetime to copy the scriptures by hand? How wealthy are you that he has the scroll of Isaiah? I'm pointing this out because we are Westerners and we think more stuff will make us happy. We think we'll be satisfied. And here we watch a man who's ridiculously wealthy going, this is not enough, I need something more. And the Holy Spirit sends Philip to walk alongside and he says, do you understand what you're reading? Church, you have been sent by God we have been sent by God to help people understand the book. Jesus sent his church to explain the scriptures to a world that's lost. He did not send somebody else. And as much as we are people of the book, doesn't this story tell us that the people play a teaching role? Are there people who come to meet the Lord Jesus Christ by reading the Bible? Say yes. It absolutely happens. Okay? It absolutely happens. In fact, the rocks can cry out the praise of, of who God is. But Jesus formed the church for a reason. He died for her, washed her in the water of the word, cleansed her of her sins, and filled her with the spirit, and sent her into a world. And said, hey, go walk alongside chariots. There's somebody reading their Bible today, and they need you. I wish Jack Skellington would have had Linus there to say, let me tell you what Christmas is all about. ARCF Foundation, every Christmas, we have the opportunity to decide, will our friends and our coworkers and our family members, will they be 
treated like Jack Skellington, where they're left high and dry, twisting in the wind, trying to figure out what Christmas is all about, and the only ones trying to help them understand are trying to sell them something? Or do we look at the most beautiful, decadent, decorated missions proclamation that lasts an entire month and say, let's go walk alongside some chariots? You and I have all kinds of friends that may or may not be opening a Bible and reading it on their own. Maybe they are. They may or may not be willing to join a Bible study and hang out and read it. But they do walk down the mall as Celine Dion sings to them, O Holy Night. And you could walk alongside that chariot and ask him, do you know what she's singing? There's one weird month where our pagan culture somewhat halfway forgets that we're pagans. We forgot that we're atheists. We're allowing these gospel clear, gospel explicit songs to be piped through our pagan temples where we worship money and stuff. We're letting God break in on our our party if we're not careful. ARCF Foundation, you and I are a sent people. We are not consumers alone. We do not just sit here and receive the grace of God. We do that. But when you receive it, then what happens? It's time to walk alongside some chariots and say, hey, let me share with you what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Here's a practical way that you could do that. We're doing this real slow to build anticipation. This year we've got two candlelight services instead of one. Um, Some of us would not miss a Christmas Eve service under any circumstances. Others of us are flying to go see family or maybe family came to see us and their traditions, what have you. So the 22nd just works better for some. These are going to be identical services, about 45 minutes long. All the family's going to be together. We're going to keep it fun and lively so the kids don't get too bored. I'm basically, guys, I'm basing everything off of Gabriel. When Gabriel's done, that service is going to end. It's just how it is. That's, so those of you with small children that are worried, it's like, here's a couple toys, here's a candy cane, and this sermon's almost over. So, okay. um, we're going to, it's going to be a family-friendly service where the gospel is going to be clear and compelling and winsome. That's my promise to you. This is a great place to bring a friend, and I'm not going to bore you with long details and stats, but I need you to know smart Christian people that understand numbers have proven over and over again that a Christmas Eve service is the number one guest-attended event in a church's life, period. It even beats out Easter, okay? Easter is number two. If you're intimidated at the idea of walking alongside somebody's chariot and you're sitting there going, I don't know if I could teach the gospel from the book of Isaiah. That's a, guys, that's a fair concern. I want to get us to the point where we could all preach the gospel from Isaiah. I want to get us there. But if you're not there right now, if that intimidates the living dickens out of you, bring a friend to a candlelight service and we will share the gospel with your friend. We'll share the gospel for your friend, with your friend. That's the point of a candlelight service. Christians, we're going to worship. You can't stop us. 
we're going to worship all month long. And then 11 months after that, like we're going to worship, whether we're allowed to gather, whether we're hiding because we're in a country where the gospel's illegal, we're going to worship. This is an opportunity to proclaim. Okay? It's an opportunity to proclaim. Second, for you note takers, Jack ruined Christmas when he took control of it. Jesus runs things. Somehow everything works. You know that, right? Santa Claus of Nightmare Before Christmas plays a type of Christ in the narrative. When Santa runs Christmas, everything's fine. When Santa gets dethroned, everything's awful and nobody likes it. Where have I heard that before? Anybody ever heard of the the rightful authority being dethroned and then it all goes to pot? Have we heard that story before? I think we have. Genesis 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and that you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Guys, doesn't it look, especially if you've not seen the movie, doesn't it just kind of look a little creepy? A skeleton in a Santa suit? This is the first Santa that you've seen that actually needed the milk and cookies. You're, You're wasting away, Jack. Jack Skellington, king of Halloween, dressed up in a Christmas outfit is what humanity has been experiencing since Genesis 3. Humanity shoved God aside, and we said, we've got this. And we sat on his throne. We held his scepter. We put on his robe. But the clothes don't fit. The crown is too big. The scepter is too heavy. And nobody's receiving the blessing of what we have. If you've read the first two chapters of the Bible, you see a world that is perfect and you go, is this a fairy tale? No, it's not a fairy tale. It's what God intended. Everything was fine when God was given free reign over his creation and we lived in glad, joyful submission to him. For just a couple of quick chapters, it was great. And this brokenness that Jack had to find out the hard way, that it's not my place to be in charge of Christmas. When you or I come to this place where we are like Jack, we agree 
I've been trying to run my life. I've been trying to run the cosmos. And I think the creator of the world would do a better job. I think Jesus forgiving me of my sin and adopting me as a child of God, that sounds way better than this. Jack has a type of conversion experience. We, you and I, human beings, rebels against the Most High, we do not gladly submit to Christ being back on his throne. We don't gladly submit to that until he's changed our hearts. You understand that, right? There has to be a heart change or we would never happily sit at the front door of the palace saying being a bellhop in your kingdom for a day is better than a thousand days anywhere else. Lord, it is my joy to be a nobody in your kingdom. To be a nobody in your kingdom is better than to lead in any other kingdom. That was Jack's experience. He had to go, man, I put my hands all over this and I ruined it. The call of Christmas to you, the call of Christmas to me, I mean, God coming in the flesh and saying, I've got to experience what they experienced so I can live a life that they did not live. I can die a death that I don't want them to die. All of this says humans put their fingerprints on it and they ruined it. Christmas is not as as happy and fluffy at first if you think about it. Christmas is a declaration that you and I burnt things to the ground. But we've got a God of love who did not quit. He didn't let it just keep burning like Sodom and Gomorrah. He came and said, hey, I'm going to be back in charge again. And you're going to do it willingly because I'm going to change your heart. From a changed heart, you will finally celebrate me being in charge of Christmas again. And everybody's going to get blessing from it. Some practical ways that we can make sure that the Lord Jesus Christ is completely in charge of Christmas. And by the way, I'm not stating something like against his sovereignty. He is still on his throne in every possible way. We just act like he's not on his throne, right? If you sit in your garage and make revving noise and say, I'm a Chevy, I'm a Chevy, um, they're going to take you away the funny farm. Um, They're going to take you away because your belief and the reality that everybody else agrees are not lined up. Jesus is saying, hey, you guys have been living a long time as if I'm not in charge of Christmas and I want to invite you back. This is an invitation. So if you love Jesus Christ in particular, I want to talk about a few practical ways that we can celebrate God's sovereignty, him being on the throne, Jesus being fully in charge of Christmas. First, saturate the Christmas season in scripture. That's a blank for you A-type note-takers. Saturate the Christmas season in scripture. I want to remind you something that's hidden in plain sight. If you've been in church a lot, we oftentimes talk about the Bible and we call it God's word. And I want to slow you down for a second and remind you that that's literal. It's not just a book that God sent, it is his voice. If you had been waiting all morning to save that one amen that you were going to bust out, that was, oh, it was such a good time. That was just, I felt it. No, 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 it's all right. I felt it. I had my own. Thank you. I had my own personal experience up here. 
I want to submit to you that the current state of the church, it's based on a lot of things, but one of the things it's based on is, do we believe that this is kind of a, a handbook that we turn to when things get bad? Or is it the voice of the lover of our soul? The difference inside us will show itself in love and good works. If you call Jesus Christ your Lord, I want to beg you, I want to plead with you. You want to make Christmas awesome, you want to do so by submitting to Christ being Lord over Christmas, not doing it yourself. Saturate it in scripture. Listen for the next few weeks. Listen to your creator who came for you. Could you imagine trying to show up for a Valentine's dinner with your sweetie? And you've ignored her for the last month? That soup's going to get cold mighty fast, young man. You don't want to sit down at a nice meal with a woman you've ignored for a month? She might put something in your tea. And we might not blame her. Do not try to arrive at Christmas Eve and come to our service and say, now I'm going to begin listening to the lover of my soul. You're trying to rush something that's relational and relationships aren't created in a microwave. Relationships are like a crock pot. That was for free. You can write that down. <laughs> Listen to the lover of your soul right now. If you are in the process of raising kids... If you're an auntie or uncle that has your nieces and nephews over often, if you're a grandma or grandpa that has your grandkids over often, I want to encourage one real practical way to make this happen. Amazon has you covered. They got your back. They don't care what religion you are. Sadly, I had to type in to Google Christian Advent calendars because <laughs> it's just going to be, you know, Santa and candy, but... This lovely one, I think it was 40 bucks, it's solid wood, it's pretty. Your child can open up each day and the different part of the manger scene is inside. So here on the 17th or whatever, a camel comes because we know from Holy Scripture there was a camel. But the way, at least the way I grew up, an Advent calendar, you're supposed to open up and read a little Bible verse that gives you yet another piece of the story where in 24 pieces, your child or grandchild or niece or nephew is being reminded every 24 hours. You want to sweeten the deal and put some Hershey's in it? That's totally fine. First verse, how sweet are your words, O Lord, sweeter than the honey from the honeycomb. Put some candy in there, but put the word of God that they need in there, and they get this little reminder that Christmas is about Jesus, and it would not be what it is if he didn't come to save us from our sins. Brothers and sisters, we have a ministry of reminding. I keep telling you, Deuteronomy 6 does not allow us to believe that teaching ministry is just telling people things that are new. We remind and we remind and we remind. 40 bucks on Amazon, you can do it, okay? I believe in you. Another way, uh, two years ago, we passed out copies of Paul David Tripp's uh, Christmas uh, Advent devotional, incredible book, so some of you have it, uh, go through it again. If you don't have it, like 7 or $8 online. 
uh, Paul David Tripp's, um, I don't remember the title of it, but if you, oh, come let us adore him, thank you. Um, I, I personally got a lot of blessing out of it and I heard a lot of good things from you guys as well. Um, or something else that I shared with the prayer group this morning, another way to saturate your Christmas in scripture. And guys, please don't hear me. I, I grew up Baptist, which is a continual confessional from this pulpit. Um, I grew up Baptist, and so although it didn't come from my parents, we were kind of in this world where um, there was music about Jesus, and then there was the music that worshipped Satan. And those were the only two kinds. And so if you liked you too, you were going to hell. Um, Jesus, Bono's a Christian, you know, come on. Um, there was no room for any understanding of nuance. That being said, so I don't want to demonize Mix 96 right now, okay? You're not going to hell for listening to Mix 96. What I do want you to, I'm just going to share it in the form of a story. This last Wednesday, I had Mix 96, I had my version of Mix 96, a Pandora station. And I listened to four or five songs in a row that not just didn't have Jesus in them, but they essentially talked about what Christmas means to me or what they're yearning for, what they're longing for this season. But there's no Jesus in the song. So I can hear that your longing is not fulfilled. Okay? That's not bad. I'm just listening to a lost culture be lost. And my heart was hurting. And I switched over to the Christian station. And then every single song, they had the answer. And it just kind of fed my soul. Guys, when you listen to Jingle Bell Rock, I don't think you're making your soul rot out. Okay? I just don't think you're feeding it either. That makes sense? You're not sinning listening to Jingle Bell Rock. You're just not feeding your soul. Okay? So purposefully choosing Christian music, Christmas music that is explicitly gospel-centered is a great way to make sure your heart is appreciating and enjoying Jesus. It's scripture-saturated. It's sung to you in a way you're, you're going to remember it. Okay? A second practical way to let Jesus run Christmas. Think carefully about gift-giving. Think carefully about gift giving. Um, I'm not going to most clear, unconfused, unmuddled gospel that you will preach in the entire calendar year. If you love Jesus, you carefully think of something that the person wants or needs. You make provision to make sure it arrives on time or you go get it. You wrap it up and you decorate, you're building anticipation. That's what wrapping the present is, right? We're concealing what it is for a little while until an appointed time where you get to open it. And I've been expressing my love toward you this entire time, but now is when you feel it. Brothers and sisters, God loved us from eternity past. And on Christmas, we finally felt it. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Right? Now, the thrill of hope in the weary world rejoices for yonder break the new and glorious morn. That's when we fall on our knees. That's where worship comes. Gift giving is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The one verse you knew before you were a Christian. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. You are imaging Christ through gift-giving. You are imaging Christ to the world, to the recipient in particular. But to your kids that are watching, your grandkids that are watching, 
the neighbors that you just decided to show up and give them gifts because. This is the low-hanging fruit of evangelism. You are illustrating the Father sent the Son as a gift. That's what this season is about, and I am echoing that with a gift now to you. And maybe you walk along that side of that chariot and go, hey, do you understand the gift I just gave you? Because I want to tell you, the Father gave the Son to you and to me. You want Jesus to be in charge of Christmas? Saturate the season in Scripture. Think carefully about your gift giving. And tell someone you care about the meaning of Christmas. Tell somebody you care about. Tell them about the meaning of Christmas. If you love Jesus, do not let another Advent go by with your sibling who needs to know Jesus, your neighbor who needs to know Jesus, your coworker who needs to know Jesus. There is no greater gift, and I don't want to ever from this pulpit make it sound like that's easy, like it's not complex. Most of us have grown up in American culture where we know at the Thanksgiving dinner table you don't talk about politics or religion. I think one of those rules came from God and one of them came from the devil. You can guess as to which one I think is which. (laughs) I do not continually encourage you to share the goodness of God as if we are in a cultural vacuum. I know there is resistance. I know the resistance in my own heart. Waiting for somebody to get upset. Trying not to be awkward. By the way, I really encourage you not to be awkward. Be a friend. Be a loving, kind person. Give good gifts. Invite people into your home and be hospitable and serve them good food. Treat your wife really, really well. And after you've shown them the gospel four different ways and they see a peace inside you, I just, I virtually guarantee you, you're not going to get cussed out when you tell them about Jesus. I virtually guarantee it. Because they already feel loved by you, they feel respected by you. Part of them wants to grow up to be like you. Love and serve people this season. And the greatest service you can give to them is to build friendship and over the trust that friendship gives, over that bridge, you bring, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you about Jesus. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to see what God's going to do in us and through us during this month. Jesus, would you please forgive us of our sins? Would you forgive us of um, cowardice or comfort um, that's become ultimate in our hearts? Jesus, for those of us that don't know you yet, uh, would you show us yourself that we would trust you for forgiveness of all of our sin, that we'd be made alive today? experience Christmas fully for the first time ever. God, make us a sent people. Help us to come into reality of your lordship over all things. 
God, please give this church family so much joy this Advent, celebrating your lordship. God, because we want to be doers of the word and not hearers only, I ask that for every saint in the room that you help them on whatever their next step of obedience is. God, some of us here in the room need to host a Christmas party and invite our neighbors over. And we've known it for a few Christmases already that we need to do it. God, would you help us with our next step of obedience? God, some of us need to share the gospel with our brother, even though we really think he's going to be angry with us. But we care so much about him. God, we just want to, at the end of it all, we want you to have a great Christmas. We want you to be pleased with us that after Christmas and Christmas and Christmas and Christmas, we will one day enter your presence and you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter my rest. Fill us with your joy, Lord Jesus, that it will overflow and our city and our world will know that you are God and that you are good. In the precious saving name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said, amen. You guys have a great Christmas. I love you. See you on Saturday for the boutique if you want to come do some Christmas shopping.